Good morning. If you're a guest with us, thanks for being here today. We're so glad that you're here. Hope you're enjoying the experience. And if you have your Bibles with you, take them and turn them to the book of Nehemiah. In just a minute, we're going to be back into chapter 1 this morning, Nehemiah chapter 1. It's been an exciting week this week at First Charlotte. We've had something happen in nearly every day uh, this week, Tuesday night. Well, Tuesday morning, we began really early and we had a group go out and do serve uptown here in uptown as people uh, departed from their apartments and headed to the high rises to work. Uh, we met them along the way and served them in some tangible ways, sharing the love of Christ. It was really, really awesome. And that's going to be taking place every Tuesday morning. So if you have a Tuesday morning free, uh, you can stop by here around 7.15 and we'll hit it at 7.30 and it takes about 30, 45 minutes. That's all it takes and uh, to make a make a difference, encounter someone that we don't normally encounter. And so that's uh, every Tuesday. That went great. This Tuesday, we've got more opportunities to serve coming up um, outside of just Tuesday morning. And then Tuesday night, we had a prayer meeting here. We hosted a prayer meeting for the Decision America Tar Heel Tour that we are taking part in um, in the month of October. I think it's October the 11th or so. You won't find it in your bulletin, but you need to know that. October the 11th and 12th, there's the Tar Heel Tour, Franklin Graham. It's a great opportunity for us to reach our community with other churches, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, so Tuesday night, we hosted a prayer meeting here um, that, that evening. And this room had a, been a bunch of people in it calling a, upon God to move in our city, to reach the lost, to that people would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And in my Almost a year here at First Baptist Church, it's one of the most spirit-filled moments that I've experienced here in this room. As, people, as God's people called out in prayer and asked him to intervene and move. And so we're excited about that. That took place Tuesday night. Wednesday night we had power lunch, of course, and then we had our, our midweek activities. I don't know if you knew this, but in our midweek activities um, on Wednesday night, we have more children attend that than we do on Sunday morning. And so God's using that in a great way. We're so excited to have Ashley Cox, our new minister of children with us, um, helping us out with that. And then Thursday night, we had the marriage getaway uh, take place here. And this room was full. We saw over 900 people, 900 people, couples attend that. It was a great evening, a lot of fun, and really, really cool to see so many people from our city come and have their marriages encouraged and so forth. So God's moving here um, in some big ways here at First Charlotte. A lot of other things taking place that I hope you're part of and being aware of. I want to say thanks to our welcome team that's working every single week. You're doing a tremendous job. We continue to hear so much about how God's using you as people walk in the doors of First Charlotte 4 the first time and the encounter of love that they're getting from you. So we're adding to that team. We need more people. So if you don't have a place that you're serving, if you're just sitting and being lazy here in church, we'd love to have you be a part of our welcome team. This morning when you came in, in your worship guide, you got a card that looked like this, Project 301. And we are launching today Project 301. This card will tell you about it. Um, details about it. Tonight when we gather for our church conference at 5.30 in this room, um, one of the items on the agenda is to approve moving forward with this project. And you'll see the motion there in bold at the bottom of the sheet. Uh, that is the motion that our strategic planning committee will bring forth. You see a list of the items that we'll work on. And basically what this project is, it's to focus on areas that the people that we're trying to reach the most within our 301, that demographic, that we encounter them the most. There's certain areas within our church that there's a lot of traffic in. There's things happening nearly every day in those areas. And uniquely, when you look at those areas within our church, 
And just to be honest with you, they're very outdated. Some of them haven't gotten any sort of attention in over 30 years. Um, and so we are focusing on bringing those places up to date, modernizing them. It's a shoestring project. We're not breaking down walls. We're not doing anything significant. We're just simply trying to put a new face on those places, um, particularly within our nursery and our third floor, work on the second floor, as well as work, work in the fellowship hall, which is used every single day and has all sorts of different uh, people come through. And you'll see the list right there. There's a lot of things on that list. And uh, so as we raise the money together, we're going to begin walking through that project. And piece by piece, we'll go through that. We're not borrowing any money. We're simply going to raise the money. And as we have that, we're going to spend it on modernizing, updating these areas so that we put our best foot forward as the people that we're working so hard to reach walk through this door and, um, and then see that, hey, we've prepared for you. We're ready for you. And we're not in 1980 anymore either. We're in 2019. And so that's what the project's about. And we'll discuss that tonight at business meeting, take a vote, and then move forward uh, with that. When you think about this project, though, you'll see a dollar amount on that. And I want to tell you this. Um, it really makes me nervous to bring that before you. Because here I am as a pastor of a very historic church that's been around for 185 years. And I've not been here for quite a year. And I'm asking money from you to do something to make a difference, to advance and to move forward. It's really, really kind of overwhelming, to be honest with you. I kind of feel stupid in some ways. But I think God wants to use this church. Amen. I think God really wants to use this church in this location to make a difference for him, to impact darkness with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to reach people that have not yet been reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not interest in, in me at all to get people from other churches to come here. I have no interest at all in trying to find safe people to walk through these doors. There's over 90,000 lost people that live just within three miles of where we're sitting right now. That's who we're after, that's who our focus is on. And that's what we as a church are being called to do together to advance the gospel to those people. You know, there's all sorts of moments in our lives where we face overwhelming moments, difficult times where it's a little bit bigger than what we imagine. Now, I think this project that we're at right now, it's a little bit big. That's a really good thing. Because here's the deal, if God doesn't show up, if God doesn't move through us and work through us, then it's not gonna happen. We won't accomplish anything. I'm not interested in accomplishing something that we did and that we can do. I'm interested in accomplishing stuff that only God can do and seeing him move through us. I want to take you to a story. We, we launched off into this last week, but a story of a man that faced a task that was so overwhelming, something that was way beyond his own ability and his own power that he could not do on his own. It was too magnificent, too big, and he was just a little guy. But stirring in his soul and stirring in his heart was the need to do something bigger than he could do, more than he could accomplish from the position that he was in and the place that he was in and the person that he was. There's no possible way that rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, fixing the gates, and making this city that had been a city in 140, 50 years 
something again. Overwhelmed, what does he do? Does he call a church business meeting? Does he gather his people together? Does he start trying to see what other places are doing and other programs and so forth? Does he grab the bylaws and see, we got to change this and change that? No, what he does is pray. I want to draw your attention to that prayer, and I want to draw some things out of it for us personally, but also for us as a church, as God calls us to a really big task that's way beyond just our ability. Draw your attention to Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. I'm going to ask you to stay seated this morning as we read God's Word. This is a long passage, and I want to read it all together to see this prayer that Nehemiah Praise. In verse one, 4, it says this, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night and for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that, your, that, you, that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcaster is in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I'll gather them and bring them back to the place where I've chosen to make my name they'll dwell there. They're your servants and your people whom you've redeemed by your great hand and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give them success and give us success to your servant today. And grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah stood at an impossible task. Nehemiah stood before something that he didn't have the ability to do. He didn't have the strength to do. He didn't have the money to do. He didn't have any ability to do what was in front of him. But he knew he had to do something. He wanted to be a part of it. He wanted to take charge. He wanted to lead. He wanted to do something for the kingdom of God. But at the end of the day, he knew he could not do this. It was a problem. It was a problem that led him to sitting, to weeping, to mourning, to fasting, and to praying. God was stirring something up in Nehemiah. There was a stew that was brewing in a pot. And Nehemiah knew that the only way to stir that stew was with the spoon of prayer. And so Nehemiah dives into prayer. And he jumps off into it. Because he knows without the power of God, he cannot accomplish anything. There's a few components about this prayer that I want you to notice that need to be a part of our prayer and our personal lives need to be a part of our prayer as a church. The first thing is that Nehemiah addresses a person from a particular position. He mentions that person and the position that person is in in verse 4 as he tells this 
who he's praying to, the God of heaven. And then in verse 5, he launches off in the prayer and he addresses the person and the position the person is in. He says, O Lord God of heaven, great and awesome, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Nehemiah knows who he's talking to. And he refers, makes several references to whom he's talking to. God of heaven, Lord God of heaven. Nehemiah realizes and understands and remembers and recalls in prayer that prayer reaches a long distance. That we have access through Jesus Christ directly to the throne. And prayer is just a word away, a heart away. It's just simple as that. But that prayer travels a long distance. You know, we don't have quite the appreciation today of communicating over long distances as we have in decades past, generations past. Many of you remember the day when making a long distance call was a big deal. It was something you planned for and prepared for. It's something that you had to be really careful with because it was really expensive and costly. There were certain numbers that you had to dial and it would ring and as soon as that person picked up, you're on the clock. And there are cents and dollars going out the window as you're on the phone. And so you keep the conversation brief to the point. You didn't chit-chat. You got down to business. In fact, it was so expensive with some phone carriers that, that we had these calling cards and so forth that would get you a discount on that. Now today, it's not like that. You can pick up your cell phone. You can call anywhere in this world that you want to. You've already paid for it through your monthly bill. It can happen like that. You can send a text message to Ethiopia right now if you want to. As simple as that. You can send an email. You can get on some sort of instant messaging type thing and just communicate back and forth. You can even do video if you want to. FaceTime and WhatsApp and so on and so forth. You can communicate across the world very, very quickly. Almost to where it seems like this big world with 7.6 billion people and it doesn't seem all that big. And prayer is a simple thing as well. It doesn't cost us anything. It costs Jesus Christ. He's paid the bill and allowed us access to his Father as often as we want, as much as we want. And it's requested that we take everything before him. It's really, really simple, but we forget sometimes just how far it goes. That we are talking to a God of heaven. Which is the highest place that there is, showing his dominion over everything. Great and awesome God. He's a mighty person. The creator of everything. He's not just good. He's not just cool. He's not just big. He's great. He's better than good. He is the absolute top of everything. There's nothing that compares to the magnificence and majesty of him. And he's awesome. The things that we describe as awesome are not awesome when you compare them to God. How magnificent and majestic he is. Prayer reaches a long distance to a mighty person. And that's a really important thing. Because this great and awesome God knows things that we don't know, sees things that we don't see. He operates in a realm that we don't touch and we're not involved with as much. You know, Solomon said this, there's nothing new under the sun. The smartest idea, the best idea, the most ingenuity that we could ever muster up is just a recycling thing of something that's already happened and taken place. There are no real new ideas when it comes to humanity. We're limited. 
We're limited in our ability. We're limited in our wisdom. We're limited in our resources. We are limited, which is why it's so important that we reach out to a limitless God. Because the things that he calls us to and the things that he wants to do through us cannot be done in our limited realm with our limited things and resources. We don't need something good, a good idea, a good plan, a good process, a good resource. We need great and awesome to accomplish the great and awesome things that he wants to do through you and through me. And then he draws on something else about this great and awesome God. He's faithful. Oh, Lord God of heaven, great and awesome. Prayer reaches a long way to a mighty God who is faithful. He keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We're making a request to a really high being. The highest of high, the greatest of great, the most awesome. But we're also talking to one that personally and faithfully loves us. Not only has he given access to heaven, but heaven's come down through his son, Jesus. He's gotten very personal with us. Over 200 times throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testament speaks of God's steadfast love for us. His unconditional, relentless, undying, unaltering, unchanging love that he has for you and I. It's steadfast and steady. He never backs up. He never moves away from it. It's always There, he's faithful to it. He makes covenants with us. For the Israelites, he made a covenant with them. Through Jesus Christ, he's made a covenant with us. And he sticks to his word. He sticks to his promise. He doesn't back up on it. He doesn't back down to it. He's incredibly personal and faithful with that. You know, when you have to make a request of someone that is higher up the ladder than you, there's a little bit of angst that comes with that, a little bit of nervousness. You know, say in your company or in your job, if you have to make a presentation or request of of a higher superior before you, maybe it's the CEO or president of the company, that day you might dress up a little bit different. You might make sure to comb your hair. You might make sure that you use the right words and you present yourself really, really well because you're asking something and they can say no. In fact, this person has the power to fire you if they want to. And if you mess up, you could embarrass yourself, you could embarrass other people. And so you're very careful with making that request to them. Husbands, so often that's how we make requests to our wives. They're higher up the ladder than us in many ways. And if we want to ask them for something, we better make sure we do it well and right and kind and the right words, the right time, the right way. Well, God's not like your boss. And God's not like your wife. He's higher than both. but also has come lower than both. And is faithful. You see, he takes a certain position and he understands he's talking to a particular person. He knows that he has access. There's a confidence he has in taking this access before him. And so he takes advantage of it, recognizing who he's talking to, recognizing that he's higher than himself, but also recognizing God's faithfulness to him. And so he steps off into this prayer, which, by the way, is such a great lesson for the church, the need for prayer. 
Before he thinks of anything to do, before he steps out with anything, he prays. He comes and asks God and makes request of God. Could it be that one of the reasons the church today in America is so weak because the church today in America is not a church of prayer? And by the way, I'm not just talking about other churches and other denominations. I'm wondering, and I'm asking that question of First Charlotte, are we really a church of prayer? I'm, I'm asking that of myself. Am I really a pastor of prayer? That's a condemning question. Are our prayer services the most exciting services within our church, the most well-attended services in our church? Is the prayer time in your life group or Sunday school something you just kind of breeze past, walk in late so you don't have to be there for that? Or is it something where we really do business of God and understand that this is one of the most important things that we do as a church? Pray. Ask God. Oh, we have policies and we have manuals and we have plans and we have programs and we have ministries. But listen, if we don't have prayer, all of that stuff is a waste of time. Because prayer gives us access to the power of God. And so he prays, he launches off to prayer. And when he steps into prayer, do you know what he does next? He goes to confession and correction. He understands that there's a problem. He understands there's a reason why Israel is where it is and why Nehemiah is in the situation he is. And so he begins and he steps off with a, a confession and a correction. Correction begins, by the way, with confession. If you want to fix something, you have to confess first. So just water under the bridge. He didn't just say, sorry for all those bad days. We're ready to start afresh and anew. It's a new day. No, no, no. He backs up. He begins to work through confession, and his confession was corporate. In verse 6, let your ear be attentive, your eyes open, and hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you night and day, and for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. It's corporate. Lord, we as a people have not done right. Now, what an audacious thing for Nehemiah to pray. I mean, who is Nehemiah? to even pray this on behalf of the people. He recognizes something, though. He recognizes we hadn't done right. The reason we are where we are is because we've not obeyed the commandments of God. We've done wrong. We as a people, corporately, but also personally. It's not just me. It's not just us. It's me. It's not just those people. It's not just the previous generation. It's just not those people. It's, it's us personally. It's me personally. My father's house and me, he includes. Oh, we're quick to point out the sins of other people. And we as a church can point out to the sins and days of generations before us and decades before us and say they're the reason why we are where we are. But that's not real confession. Never in the Bible does it say confess other people's sins. Nor does it say point out other people's sins, by the way. It says look in the mirror and take those things before God. His confession is corporate, we, 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 us, and then it's personal, me, and it's also very specific. It wasn't just a prayer, Lord, we're sinners, forgive us. It was very, very specific. Verse 7, we've acted corruptly against you, and we've not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. We didn't do what you told us to do. 
You gave Moses some commandments, and we have not kept those commandments. We've acted. He's very specific in this. And he, he recognizes something, why he's so specific. There's a reason why this specific component was important. It's because of what he says in verse 8. Remember the word that you gave your commandments, you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the peoples. Well, here they are, 140 years being scattered among the peoples. Why were they scattered among the peoples? Because they were unfaithful to the word God had given them. The reason they were where they were was not the sins of other nations and other people. It was the sins of themselves. And they realized what we're facing, where we are, is our fault, God. It's because we moved. You didn't move. We moved. We didn't do what we were supposed to do. We, we, we violated the promise that you gave us and the command that you gave us. And this is why our walls are burned, our gates are down, and we're struggling. This is why we're not a nation that anyone recognizes anymore. When a church isn't what it used to be, and for that matter, when a person isn't seeing God move through them in ways they've seen before, it is not anyone else's fault but the church. And the person. Somewhere along the way, just as in Nehemiah's day, we have acted corruptly against him and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that he's commanded us to keep as his people. God will not bless disobedience. You know, sometimes as a husband, I try to to be helpful around the house, earn those brownie points, get out of the doghouse, or just make people happy. And so there's a number of tasks that I try to do from time to time. And, and when I mean time to time, sometimes I will admit, sometimes there's a lot of time from time to time. And one of those tasks is washing dis- dishes. It's a task that I don't normally participate in. I participate in making the dishes messy. But I don't participate often in, I'm just confessing. I mean, this is confession time right now. Confession correct, all right? So we're just practicing right now. So it was a, a while back that I decided I'm going to wash the dishes. I'm going to wash the dishes. You give her the night off, and I'm going to wash the dishes. And so, wash the dishes. And here's the problem with my dishwashing. I'm not a very careful dishwasher. I hadn't read the book on washing dishes. I didn't go to college to go learn how to wash dishes. So I'm not the greatest dishwasher. So sometimes I neglect to turn the hot water on when I'm rinsing the dishes off and so forth. But that's okay because we have a dishwasher. No big deal. Just put it in the dishwasher. Maybe rinse some stuff off, put it in the dishwasher. And so I loaded the dishwasher, shut the dishwasher, job well done. But the job's not well done until the dishwasher's empty. What good does it do you to put dishes in the dishwasher if you don't take the dishes out of the dishwasher and put them up? So here I am, I wait, hour and a half, come back, and I begin going through the dishwasher and begin this, this task of trying to find out where all this stuff goes. Really learned my kitchen cabinets that afternoon. Put it all back. 
I did a good job. I don't know if it was the next night or what. Dinner's being prepared and served. The dishes I cleaned, which were ones on the top, are brought down. Food is ready. And when they're placed on the table to put the food on it, Robert, did you clean these dishes? Well, of course I did. Well, that's last night's food on this dish still. I had forgotten to turn the dishwasher on. So the plate's dirty. And mama ain't gonna bless a dirty plate, okay? It's no different with our lives, friends, with the Lord. While we're forgiven of our sin, the Bible still, even in New Testament, tells us and commands us to confess our sins before and to bring those before him, to get things right with him. Sin is a roadblock. Sin is a clogged drain. And confession is the draino, or for lack of a better visual image, the plunger to correct our ways so that we can begin and continue to see the power of God flow through us. What is it that you and I need to confess in? Is it could be that your job's not where you want it to be, not because of God, but because of you? Could it be your marriage is not where you want it to be, not because of God, but because of you? Could it be that your church is not where it ought to be, because of, not because of God, but because of us? Is it the sin of selfishness, the sin of lack of faith? Is it the sin of mean spirit? Is it the sin of lack of prayer? What is it in us? What is it in you? Nehemiah understood the importance of that. I'm addressing a person in position, and I'm not right before that person in position, so I confess and correct. Confession and correction leads him finally to his main request. As he prepares and asks for power. Notice verse 11. This is the main request of Nehemiah's prayer. Correcting and confessing, understanding his position and the person he's speaking with led him to this in verse 11. Oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to, to the prayer of your servant. It's not just the prayer of your servant. This is the prayer of servants all over who delight to fear your name. So here it is. Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, we don't know what he's talking about until chapter 2. We realize he's fixing to go between, before King Artaxerxes and ask him for money, ask him for help, ask him for freedom to be able to go back to Jerusalem and help rebuild the wall. His prayer is, give us success. Which I think is interesting. Nehemiah never prayed for God to build the wall. He never said, God, if it be your will, build this wall. God, we want you to build this wall. He didn't ask God to do something. He asked God to give success as he did something. He asked God to give favor or mercy as he stepped out in faith and obedience. 
Nehemiah didn't ask God to do it, but whether he prayed for an opportunity to build it himself. This is the difference between just a dream and a vision. A dream is something that you're hoping for. Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if we as a church could, could reach this community? Wouldn't it be nice to see this room and balcony filled with people that didn't know Jesus Christ, but now know Jesus Christ? Wouldn't it be nice to be again a church that made a drastic and dramatic influence in this city? Wouldn't it be nice if we were changing people's lives and we were seeing addicts come through and homeless come through and people's lives flipped? Wouldn't it be nice? Oh, I wish we could be that again. That's a dream. You know, here's the deal with dreams. Most dreams don't come true. Nehemiah didn't have a dream. Nehemiah had a vision. And what makes a vision different from a dream is that Nehemiah did something. He's knowing something has to be done. He sees something to do and he prays for a way to get it done. What Nehemiah is asking, Lord, I'm gonna help rebuild the wall. Lord, I'm willing to go and lead. I'm willing to leave my home and leave this land and leave this plush security of where I'm at. And I'm willing to go to your people and lead these people to do something. I'm willing. I'm willing to step out. I'm willing to be obedient. I'm willing to be bold. I'm willing to go tell people we got to read to build a wall. I'm willing, I'm willing to organize it. In fact, I'm working on some plans to organize it. But listen, here's the deal, God. I'm going to do it. But if I don't have your favor, if I don't have your mercy, if I don't have your help, it's a waste of my time. Ministry, and for that matter, just flat out life, is a partnership of our faith and obedience with the power and favor of God. First Baptist, God will do something through us. He will. But he will not if we don't act in faith and obedience. If we attempt to do nothing, he will respond in the same measure. But if we in boldness and in faith and in obedience seek to do something, God's not going to lead a person to Christ through you unless you have the faith and boldness to open your mouth and share that gospel. God's not going to reach people that we can't reach today unless we try to reach them. So let's do something. Let's keep pressing forward in faith and obedience. That's what Project 301 is all about. It's an attempt to do something. It's an attempt to step forward with something that is way beyond us. Because here's the deal. If God doesn't show up, we can't do it. Bottom line, how are we going to do this? I don't know. God does. I'm not interested about who's going to pay for this. That's a lot of money. 
And the question that we should not be asking is, well, can we ask this company or this company or this organization to pay for it? No, the question is this. What we ought to be looking for is, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to be a part? I want to do something. I want to be a part of what you're doing. The question is you and me. Not some organization that uses our building or not some other people that use our building. The question is, what are you and I willing to do to show faith and obedience to the vision that God's put before us as a church? Isn't that a bit arrogant? Not for Nehemiah, it's not. This guy was a nobody. This guy had never even been to Jerusalem. And yet now he's going to step off into Jerusalem and do something there? Not when he's corrected his way and he sought the Lord. Because when you have the power of God with you, nothing can hinder. Men may, as Sidlow Baxter said, men may spurn our appeals, they may reject our message, they may oppose our arguments, they may despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. Church, when we rely upon organization and organizations, we get what organizations can do. When we rely on programs, we get what programs can do. When we rely upon human ingenuity, we get what only human ingenuity can do. When we rely on eloquence, we get what eloquence can do. But when we rely on prayer, we get what God can do. And as we see take place in Nehemiah's life, and as you have seen take place in every revival movement in any city and any place and any time, the work done of prayer in private is shown in power in public. Amen. And if we want to be a church that makes a powerful difference, then we got to do the work in private together of prayer. This past week, this is a really cool thing that took place. This past week, I had, uh, had a couple of couples make a request to meet with me. And uh, so we set up a meeting and they were older couples. They're more elderly couples in our, in our church. Now they're in this room right now, so that's probably embarrassing them a little bit. And the story I'm gonna tell you about them is gonna embarrass them a little bit, but I won't give you their names. And so they made a request to meet with me. And I've pretty much been a pastor that's pastored older people than me all my life. I mean, for the past 13 years, I've been a pastor and just about every deacon body has always been older than me. You know, I haven't, I haven't ever had anyone really younger than me. I always pastor older people. So these meetings with older senior adults, can, they can go a bunch of different directions. It can be a meeting where the older generation wants to meet with the young pastor and correct his ways. And I've sat in many of those meetings. I am used to them by now. And uh, I'm grateful for them. You want to set up one with me? Happy to have it with you. But I thought that's what this meeting might be. And as we sat down and gathered together, I thought, man, I don't, I don't know what this is going to be about. And the couple came in, the, the two couples came in, they sat down, and one of the gentlemen looked at me with that look in his face. And I thought, oh, no. It was a stern look, a dry look. Oh, this dude's not happy. Well, I didn't know this guy. I didn't realize that's just his look. And it was softened when they opened their mouth and said, we're not here to tell you you're doing something wrong. Oh, oh, okay, good. And then they said this, we're here because we think we as a church need to pray. 
that God's got something for us and God's got a vision. And there's a bunch of ways that maybe us from an older generation can't be involved in some of the things that are taking place and some of the ideas that are happening. But, but there's one thing that we can do is one thing we, we can do is pray. And we want to help lead prayer in our church. Man, it was an incredible meeting. And over the next hour, we kind of dreamed up some different ideas and some different ways. And you're going to be seeing in the days ahead some changes that are going to be made in life group and Sunday school to make that more important. And then there's this really cool idea that we, we dreamed up together. Um, once a month in the middle of the week at about 10 o'clock, we're going to meet, have a, have a group, anyone that wants to take place, are going to meet in the parking lot of one of the restaurants here somewhere in uptown within our 301. Now it's 10 o'clock. Most of you are at work at 10 o'clock. We're not asking y'all to come. I mean, you can skip work if you want to, but you'll probably get in trouble for that. So we're asking the people who aren't working at 10 o'clock, who are those people? Well, either the jobless or more than likely, it's the retired people. And at 10 o'clock, all you're missing is pickleball. We're gonna meet and for about 45 minutes to an hour, wherever we're located, we're gonna prayer walk. And just ask God to touch the lives of the people and lead doors and avenues for us to reach the people in these apartments and these high rises and these different places. And then because we're Baptists, when we're done doing the prayer walking and it's about 11, 11, 15, we're gonna come back and eat at the restaurant that we parked in their parking lot. It'll be a great time. We'll have more details about that. But listen, it's an effort to pray. And I love that it came from the heart of some of you. We need to be a praying church if we're gonna be a powerful church. And listen, you need to be a praying follower of Jesus if you're going to be a powerful follower of Jesus. Amen. Prayer works. God will use it. If we'll match our faith and obedience with our prayer, God will do something. So why don't we practice what we preach? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to lead us in this invitation in a time of prayer. And so in a moment, we're going to have an invitation, an opportunity for you to respond. For some of you, you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. And we want to talk to you about giving your life to Jesus Christ. For some of you, God's calling you to this church to join and link arms with us and to be part of the family here, not just to be an observer, but to be a servant and leader within this church. We'd love to have you join. You're welcome to do that during this time of invitation. But this invitation this morning is an invitation to pray. Our staff and our team is gonna be here we would love to pray with you. If there's something in your life that we can pray over you with, that we can take to God with you, we would love to do that this morning. And we're gonna be standing here in just a minute. When we stand and sing this song, you go ahead and come on up and we'll just pray with you. For others of you, you've got a one. We've talked about who's your one. One person in your life to reach for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why don't you use that time this morning to pray for that person? Or maybe pray that God would lead you to somebody and help you find somebody to share the gospel with. Maybe this morning you need to just pray for your church and pray that God would move through us and God would use us 
that God would fill this place with people that we're trying to reach. Maybe we need to pray for those outside the walls of our church. That's our mission field. Our mission field is not necessarily each other. It's those outside the walls of our church. And there's lots of problems, there's lots of issues, and there's lots of reasons they don't come in these doors. There's a big gap that they have before God. They're far away from God. But God wants them. And God's working in their life to bring them. Maybe you would pray this morning that God would use you and that God would use our church to be a bridge and to be an avenue to share Jesus with them and minister and encounter them. Maybe this morning you need to do some confession. There's some things in your life that are not right with God and you need to lay those down before him and confess them. Maybe there's something in this room that you're not right with. Maybe there's a person in this room that you're not right with. You need to handle that this morning. Listen, if you're two church members and you're part of this church and there's animosity between you, you are hurting your church. You are part of the clog in the drain. So I'm gonna ask you as your pastor this morning, let's make that right. Forgive and apologize. God wants his people to pray. He says, my house shall be a house of prayer. Well, let's practice that this morning.